Pringle and this is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty, where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this podcast, we'll be looking at what travel programs can learn from retail programs and vice versa. And to help us look at this, I'm joined by a panel of people who've worked on both sides of that fence. So tonight I'd like to welcome Joanne Ward Hi, from Canada. Hi, Joanne. Hi, nice to be there. Here, I mean. And Jason Odeski from Australia. Hi, Jason. Hey, Ian. How you doing? Good. And uh, and Phil from Australia as well. Hi, Phil. Good morning, Ian. Good. So we've got sunshine out the windows of uh, Jason and Phil, and we've got snow out of Joanna's window, and, uh, and I'm in the dark. So we've, uh, we're truly spanning the globe on this call. Um, so to get things started tonight, can we each give a brief introduction? Jason, this is your first time in the podcast, so could you give us a brief introduction and just tell us what experience you have on this sub- subject? So, uh, Jason, would you like to kick us off? Sure, happy to. Uh, always happy to talk about myself. So um, <laughs> I, I started out for my sins in, in the loyalty space, geez, about a little over 20 years ago when I actually moved over to the UK, uh, helped launch a, a fairly fairly prominent program called the Nectar Program back in about 2000, 2001, something like that. So I'm getting a bit dated here, but um, yeah, so I did uh, help set up Nectar back back then. Then I moved over to Australia, helped work with Phil uh, on the Velocity program for Virgin. Uh, then I uh, jumped ship and moved over to um, to Qantas, where I ran retail partnerships. So did things with lots and lots of different retailers, including Woolworth supermarkets and telcos and e-commerce players and the like. And most recently, uh, I went up to Hong Kong uh, for the past six years, where I was working at Cathay Pacific and running, running the program up there for, on strategy and, and, and business development and a whole bunch of transformation items. So working with lots of, lots of different partners over, up there as well. And now I'm back here in Australia. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Jason. And uh, Joanne? Yeah. Okay. Well, I started out actually at uh, Air Canada Aeroplan. Um, so, and, and then, you know, when Aeroplan spun off, moved over to AMIA. So I have really, I have experience on both the airline side of things and on the retail side. Um, Aeroplan, you know, is, is, is sort of a coalition program. So while I was there, I did work with some of the retail partners that were, um, part of that program. Um, since I've become a consultant, you know, I've also been working with different airlines, other travel partners, hotels, online travel agencies, but also with some retail partners um, as well in, um, you know, in, including some of the uh, online retailers. Perfect. And uh, Phil? Okay. Yeah, Phil Gunter. So uh, well known on the podcast, for, uh, ran Virgin for seven years or Virgin's Velocity program. But what's interesting there is that um, Velocity was the, I guess, the first airline program that went revenue accrual, dynamic burn, etc., um, which was at the time much more similar to the retail program. So it was one of the first kind of, uh, airline programs that kind of started to merge. Um, and as New World Loyalty worked across uh, pretty much every category of retail from grocery, online, pharmacy, apparel, um, shopping malls, even things like quick service restaurants, they're, they're retail at heart, I guess. Um, and and the loads of other categories as well. So for me, it's not just who can. There's lots of retail and airlines. There's also other categories. What which what what can they learn from them as well? Perfect, perfect. I, I'm Ian Pringle. I'm I'm obviously host host the podcast and been on all of them. I think. Um, and I my background is I started in Shell, then went to EDF when I was working with Nectar. So I'm, I'll pass mine across there, Jason. Um, mm. I then worked for BA and Avios for seven years, 
and uh, and since then, and I've also worked for Virgin Atlantic, and since then I've worked for a number of, of, of retailers in the in the consultancy space. So I think between us, we've all worked on either side of the fence for a number of years. So I think we should be bringing some good experience to this. So, um, Joanne, what sort of difference, what are the key differences you see between travel and retail programs? Um, yeah, I guess one of the big ones, I think, is is if you look at most retail programs, they tend to be revenue-based, you know, in mm. terms of how you're going to earn your points. Whereas I think there's still a lot of airlines that are still not really doing it directly with re- uh, with uh, the revenue value, but, you know, also sort of looking at a combination of, you know, how far you're flying, what booking class. So there's definitely a more direct um, relationship to to dollars spend on the retail side than there than there is on the airline side, although it is changing. I think one other thing there, too, is typically... At a retailer, you're going to earn your points at the time you spend, um, whereas in, in travel or in the airline, you typically, in most cases, don't get your points right away. You have to wait until you actually travel or consume the product. Anyone, anyone else want to say anything about the key differences you've seen between the programs? Phil? I'll, I'll let Jason go first, actually, because uh, I've, I've got a whole list. I'll, I'll fill in the gaps. Yeah. <laughs> Look, yeah, look, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in quickly. Um, look, I, the way I see it, I, I look at it typically like to look at it through three lenses. One is the customer, shareholder, and operator lens. Um, uh, so from a customer perspective, I think airlines are very, very good at catering towards the top end of their customer bases. Um, so so the, the diamonds, the platinums, the, the golds, and so on and so forth. Um, whereas once you get a little bit lower down into the non tiered members or non-recognized members, uh, they get to be less, less, less beneficial, shall we say. Um, from a shareholder perspective, clearly airlines are far more profitable. Um, there's no question about that. Um, they, they drive much better uh, economic returns to, their, to the operators of, the, of those programs and owners of those programs. And, and finally, from, from an operator or program manager's perspective, I just think that um, airlines are typically dinosaurs. They take very, very, very long time to make decisions. Implementing change takes an awful long time. Use of technology is very, very complex. And so I think retailers are just far more adept at, at running uh, and executing uh, than airlines are in general. Yeah, I think uh, someone once explained to this to me because I once had a, a, a real problem. I once was trying to understand why retailers are so quick and, th- and why, why, why airlines are so slow. And someone once explained to me that... Um, it's fundamentally how airlines manage their customers because airlines, it's not that long since airlines used to manage all, the, all their tickets on those whammers. Remember the whammers where you, had, where you had a carbon copy of a ticket? And when they created the GDSs, all the GDSs did was recreate tickets. And so airlines, are, the DNA of an airline is they follow a ticket. They don't follow customers. Whereas retailers always follow customers. They've always followed customers from day one. And I think that's a real reason why airlines find it, unless you've got in a frequent flyer program, they find it very, very difficult to track customers because they have no concept of a customer outside of the... And once you understand that, you can see a lot of the things that happen within airlines that aren't common to happening within within um, retail. Does that make sense? Yeah, the, only, the only thing I would say with that, though, Ian, is I think that's changing because I think as more and more... Um, airlines are getting direct sales and having more going through their own websites and not relying as much on intermediaries and travel agents. They're able to, you know, they're able to get more data collected directly, and they're able. And I think they're 
they're starting to change out their loyalty platforms from those dinosaur like you know old clunker systems to be to getting things that are kind of more aligned with the kind of um, technology that some of the retailers are using so I think it's true but it's starting to change and I think there are airlines that are doing a better job you know than 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 others for sure also, some of it's rubbish. Uh, at the end of the day, you can get a lot done if you if you uh, if you organise yourself and you're decisive and you and you have the processes in place. Like what we what we achieved in seven years at, at Velocity, we relaunched the whole program th- um, three times in seven years. I, I've seen I've seen I've seen the airlines um, spend three years just on a website refresh. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I, I think so, that's sorry. Yeah, so at the end of the day, uh, it, stop the excuses and get on and do stuff. That's what I think. But um, can I give you my views on the differences? Because I think there's some fundamental differences, which which um, I mean you've got to be careful. You can't just copy from from another program. One one is data. The 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 depth of the data you can get in a gro- even within retail in a grocery basket, the depth of the data you get and the insights you get from the from inside a, a shopping basket and the frequency of that shopping spend is far is much different and far richer than you can you can get from a, from an airline. It's different data from an airline. Um, a critical one is the value of a point. Um, so just, uh, Jason's touched on the fact that that airlines make more money, but the how is important. They've got an exponential value curve. So uh, the value curve, so if you spend your points on business class around the world, the value of a point is really high. That enables the airline to push up the value of a point to partners. And yet, with a, a pure perishable product, the true marginal cost of a, of a, of a a seat that, that's flown empty is very small, and so they have this massive difference in in the value to the to the to the cost, which enables them to make a lot of money. Um, airlines have the ability to have a, a really impactful status program, uh, not for not for everybody, but the 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 difference that a status program can make to someone's life in an airline is far greater than a status program can make to someone's life in a in a in any other category. Um, and they're, through that, their ability to engage emotionally. Again, not with every customer, but they, they, the airlines have certain advantages that they can engage emotionally, together with the commercial advantages of, of a massive margin on points, mean that uh, they, they can do things which the other guys can't do. And at the same time, some of the data that the retail programs get enables the retail programs to do things that the airlines can't get. And, and the reason I'm like a bit of a high horse for this is because I'm so sick of people calling me in because of my velocity experience and saying, I want one of them. I want a highly profitable program. It makes us 100 million a year um, where they haven't got the enablers to support that or yeah. the customer base or the frequency or anything else that they, um, that made velocity successful. Or an airline demanding a single customer view and then finding out that you just every three years find out a customer likes chicken or beef. It's not going to tell you a vast, vast amount of money about their vast amount about their lifestyle exactly yeah exactly. That, that said i do i do think there's a point to i i agree with what uh some of what you said phil um i i, I do think that airlines are getting better at collecting more data i think some of the some of the partnerships so so if you move on to where airlines do particularly well vis-a-vis uh retailers or or, or and, and retailers is, is obviously a broad broad uh, kettle uh broad community it's probably be a little bit more precise, but um, I think the ecosystems that uh, airline programs are able to develop enables far richer, uh, far better data. Um, even, you know, historically, you, 
you would only say that uh, you'd only collect transactional data, so miles here or points there, whatever, per transaction. But I think these days, uh, the, the ability to secure commercial partnerships where data is uh, part and parcel of that relationship is getting, is, is getting a lot better. So you are getting a lot more granular information on, on your transactions. Um, uh, that enables a lot of more interesting behaviors. Whether the airlines actually execute on that data is, is a separate question, but um, they, they do have a lot more value, uh, valuable data to them that they have available to them. Yeah. I mean, I think you've touched, yeah, I mean, I think just that whole idea of partnerships is certainly where airline programs are, are more advanced than on the retail side, because typically a lot of, most retail programs are just proprietary. They don't really, they don't normally have other partners, although, I mean, I guess you could argue on the grocery, you know, in the grocery space or pharmacy, CPGs could be considered partners because they are helping to fund point offers. Um but yeah, I, I think the richness of the data that's coming from partners is is starting to be leveraged better by the airlines. Um, just as far as revenue generation too from a program, you know, they have a lot more revenue coming in from um, external partnerships than typically a retail program would have, uh, and and that also can help. You know, from from the member standpoint, uh, you know, it it can enhance. You know, in terms of where. You, you know where you can earn points, um, the kind of rewards that you 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 have access to, or or different benefits. So, definitely, I think there's they're they're more advanced on on how to leverage partnerships within the loyalty program um, area. And, and what would you say like that the sorry, on, a bit like um, retail? How do you, like we're talking about retail, but there's so many different categories within retail. Um, the same with airlines. Um, what, we're, what I think we're talking about there is the the good airlines. There are some fantastic airline programs out there, and, and you guys have worked in them, um, and I've worked in them, um, where they have got great partnerships. They've, they've um, thought about the, the value of the data, constructed the partnerships to give, provide the data, and they're doing some good stuff. That is true. There's also a long tail of airlines out there that have, that have the potential to do that, but just aren't. That, yeah, that's uh, true. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I, well, yeah. I, 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 I think that airlines, in my experience, the airlines use very little of the partnership data. In fact, things like the, the co-brand credit card, you know, I, I've rarely, if ever, seen co-brand credit card data used properly, and that tells you where all your customers are shopping all the time. Mm. And I, I, very I find, I've seen it. I mean, I think, you know, Air Canada definitely does, and I think most of the U.S. airlines definitely leverage it and look at, you know, the transactional um, detail. You know, so they they do they do work very closely with their co-brand um, at a customer level as well, though, Joe. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Okay, okay. Well, it's not been the exp in my experience. I've often been banging my head against the wall, saying I wish you would look at it. But there, there you go. <laughs> and what do yeah, you think? What, the go on. So say once they um, they get that. that so the, like I say, there's programs around the world. There's a number of programs around the world that really get it, and they do transform themselves into data businesses. But there's most of the others don't, and sometimes I'm shocked at how basic the data management is in some of these airlines. Hmm. So, what do we think airlines could learn from retail programs specifically that way around? I was just going to say, just to kind of you know stay on the, the the data theme, just using data to be to personalize more. Um, I'd say you know they don't you know a lot of airlines say that they you know are going to focus on personalization. They want to be truly personalized, but most of them still aren't doing that. 
Um, so really, you know, how do, how do you make the, the point offers more personalized? How do you make rewards more personalized? And I think in, in general, like if you look on the retail side, and I guess grocery is probably the best example, I would, I'd say they do a better job. They, they leverage their data more and they are, you know, putting out offers that are a lot more relevant than, than airlines. A lot of airlines are not doing as much as they could be with their data. And I think certainly as well, just if you look at how they sell ancillaries and cross-sell and upsell, they, 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 they are not doing as good a job as, as, as online retailers do because they don't, they're not using their data. They're not, not many are using next best offer, you know, uh, technology or artificial, artificial intelligence. So that's where I think leading retailers are doing a better job. I think personalization is a really good, really good theme, actually, because if you go to a, a retailer that sells cars, right? If you go to Audi site, the first time you go, you'll look at the A4. The next time you go to the Audi site, it'll have everything about the A4. Yet, if you go to a frequent flyer program and you don't fly very often, you go there first. It's all about frequent flyer. The next time, it's all about frequent flyer. Every frequent flyer program is only about frequent flyers. It looks like a duck. It walks like a duck. It's a duck. It's a frequent flyer program. It's not for the non-frequent flyers. And that drives me crazy. Retailers wouldn't do that. Yeah. I agree. I think building on that, you know, one of the things that um, you know, when when um, when I was at Qantas, we brought on the largest um, uh, uh, supermarket retail train retail group in in the country called Woolworths, and we had this influx of new members, right? So people who didn't fly as as, as frequently as as your typical frequent flyer, um, who maybe flown once or twice, or and typically would would choose to fly an LCC versus a full service carrier, for example, and we had to re rethink the model in terms of our redemption strategy, right? So you had to think through, these people are signing up for the business class long haul to London, New York, LA, wherever. The reality is they're never gonna get that, right? So we needed to rethink through the immediacy and the achievability, attainability of those rewards that they will have access to. And that was a really tough, tough transition for the program when when we were there because airlines, uh, FFPs have been thinking only about accumulate, accumulate, accumulate for as long as possible. Hopefully some of that will go to breakage. Hopefully some of that will go, the seats will go to the right people at the right time and everybody's happy. But the reality is as new, new members come into the program, you need to be able to adapt your redemption strategy accordingly. And retailers are very, very good at uh, giving, giving out rewards and redemptions um, to, when, to the people that want them when they want them, airlines less so. Mm-hmm. And, and Phil, you're the closest to the finances on this. What do you think about the the retailers always talk about profit margin, whereas airlines always talk about revenue? Do you think that drives some behaviours that that um, that the retailer that the airlines could learn from retailers on that? Or well, I definitely think that the retailers have got a better grip on the on the on the, the accounts. So airlines have been catching up, but there's still a legacy of 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 thinking it's all funny money and not really understanding the commercials. Now, that isn't true in every program in the world. So again, I'm talking about the long tail here. But um, when I, when I, my experience of, of, of retailers, they know every cent of, of cost. So they, they, they only give things away if it's going to generate a, a return. Whereas in airlines, there's a lot more uh, hit and hope. And how about the other way around? What do we think the uh, retailers could learn from travel programs? Joanne, you mentioned some things before about desirability of rewards. Yeah, I mean, I think just on the reward side, I, if you look at most retail programs, they they are a lot more sort of 
they're they're more directly linked to a, a cash value. So there's you know it's more cash back kind of rewards. It's it's you know I mean there is a good I guess as Jason mentioned before, it, in some ways that's good because it means that, you know, there's more flexibility. You don't have to save as long to be able to get benefit out of the program. But on the other hand, um, you know, I would say, you know, travel rewards are tend to be a little bit more aspirational and, and maybe there needs to be a bit of a mix. Like it's great to have the cash back, the stuff that you can just, you know, redeem at the till, but having sort of some other things that are more aspirational or more experiential could be interesting for retail. And, and I mean, some of them are starting to do that. Um, in some cases, it's through paid loyalty programs because they can't afford to do it otherwise. So they're, you know, they're giving some of that experiential stuff to people who are willing to pay, uh, you know, a subscription for a year. Um, so I think that's one area, um, just on the reward side, where they could maybe be a little bit more creative, and and add a bit more of a mix to the to the rewards that they um, that they have. And Jason, would you add anything to that about what? Um... No, look, I, I I agree. I think um, one of the things that I was thinking about as well is, is the the generosity. Um, is, is how I would put it in terms of their, their redemption strategy. So they're, they're not quite as generous. And you know, to the point that was made earlier before, most of them typically are closed loops. So they don't really have great partnership networks or redemption opportunities outside of, outside of their own uh, point of sale effectively, which, which to me suggests that they're missing a trick because you know, link, linking in uh, Paul, um, uh, Phil's comment earlier, um, the economics, if it's a closed loop system, the economics will come back to you one way or the other, whether, whether it's driving increased behavior and increased share or whatever the case may be, or it's going to go back in breakage anyway. So there, some way it's going to come back to you and the economics stay within, within the system. And yet for, for reasons that uh, I think are largely political um, and, and internal, frankly, uh, they often don't recognize that generosity that they have the capacity to be a lot more generous and a lot more innovative in their in their give back or their their investment in in the customer proposition yeah i think that's a really good example of that is the tesco program where if you read scoring points you know back in the early days tesco worked out that um that customers who redeemed outside of the store for aspirational items that joanna was talking about they were they went on to spend more money with this at the, at the store so actually tesco were investing more money on customers redeeming outside of their of their stores because they got a greater uplift in activity which is exactly what a loyalty program should be doing a, should, a loyalty program shouldn't be ambushed by the finance department to try and claw back all as much money as possible what it's there to do is to change customer behavior and I think Tesco did a really good job of it. And I rarely see it outside. I think it's mostly what you've discussed, Jason, where they like to give the money out, but they like to bring it, they like to, the tide to go out and then the tide to come back in. And they don't like to lose any of the money in the, in the meantime. <laughs> Are there okay. any things that we think um, from our experience that don't work from one place to another, that work in airlines that don't work in retail? Um, Phil, you mentioned before that you're fed up with people asking certain things. I mean, there's, there's, there's often people other things that worked at virgin that just would not work in retail or vice versa oh the the big one i think is that people people um are drawn to some people are drawn to loyalty because they think it's going to be a great big profitable business unit 
And that, like I say, in an airline, yeah, definitely you can make it hugely profitable. And you can in certain situations in other industries. Um, but if your primary purpose is to make money as a business unit, uh, then that is, is the wrong place to start. You've got to start with what you're trying to do for the business, what you're trying to do for your customers, what's the what's the um, you know what what's in it for 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 your customer and how do you drive behavior how do you how do you drive actual core business sales and then work back from that and if you can um have a make a profit as a business unit as well then that's that's good but if your driver is a, a i want a billion dollar business then uh, most people are going to fail and no. sadly most people aren't going to have the loyalty benefits either and if they do have that attitude they sooner or later start to raid breakage and start to make breakage as some profit driver i've seen that from the accounts department as well which was often a difficult one jason would you is there anything what would you say doesn't work from one side to the other yeah look i i think that there's um um the, the one thing that st stands out for me is that when you know when, I, when i've worked for retailers they they always really uh were interested in partnerships and ecosystem development but they didn't really execute particularly well and and to me that came down to two things. One is they didn't feel that they could drive the economics uh, to make it successful. And two is they, didn't, they weren't able to persuade or, or recognize the value that they had in their own databases. So, you know, when, when you, for example, when I would go out and sell loyalty for, for an airline, I could tell you I've got 80% of the wealthy in whatever market I was in at that time, right? And, and that drives a lot of interest, a lot of motivation from a lot of different uh, retailers because everybody wants the, the, the wealthy and those who, who are able to shift their spend from, one, one, from uh, retailer A or to retailer B or whatever the case may be. Whereas supermarkets or, or retailers more broadly never really able to refine that pitch quite as effectively and never really were able to execute on that sales strategy uh, to bring those, those members in. The fact of the matter is, the, the wealthy still go to supermarkets, the wealthy still go to retailers, but they're just not able to crystallize that information into a much more coherent and attractive pitch to drive the ecosystem uh, to be what it, what it could be, frankly, in my view. Yeah, I've, I've seen that many times. I've seen many people say, why are you, why are you partnering with Tesco? We should, be, we should be with this other brand. And actually, the truth is that you've got to follow the money and following the money doesn't necessarily follow the, the Swiss brands, you know, it doesn't quite follow um, Indeed. The other thing I think one of the ones I think doesn't transfer pretty well is is the the status levels. You know, often retailers look at status levels and think I need to have status levels within my program, and I don't think status levels work particularly well in airlines because there's such a huge difference in value from one customer and and another, or one customer group and another customer group. But in retail, I don't really see that as much. You know. I don't see I don't see status levels being having quite the same ability to change customers' behaviours as you do in airlines. Does, that, does anyone agree or disagree with that? Uh, well, it can I don't actually know. be. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, go so ahead. Go. Can, I, I say go. it can backfire. So one of the, one of the things I'm always nervous about when when with uh, status programs in in uh, pure retail programs um, is that you're telling customers, reminding customers how much they spent in a year, and. That, that sometimes it's quite shocking how much people spend in a year and just by by acknowledging that and that you might especially um uh, within families then uh, it isn't necessarily a great thing to to offer or to or to, to to clarify so you've got to be careful i, I like see the, what i talk about isn't status programs it's recognition programs so I, I do think that that 
all 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 programs can can learn from the fact that if you if you try and recognize your customers and not just reward your customer then there's potential there but but the, what that means is very very different for 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 not just a, across different retailers but different markets different different um businesses yeah and i would i would agree i mean i think i think you can have you know a good recognition program for retail you know because there is still there are still a lot of soft benefits that you can apply in the retail world um you know making it more about experience and less transactional and and you know what i don't i think you know there is i think online the retailers you know it's it's maybe easier for them what i find they don't necessarily do that well which if you look at airlines they do because you know you get on a flight the flight attendant knows when you're, you know, you're the top customer, but you walk into a retail store and typically the salesperson's not going to know if you're, you know, if you're one of the top, unless, you know, they see you all the time and they recognize you, but they don't typically have those, you know, they're not leveraging data and passing it through to salespeople as much to be able to personalize service for you as the airline does. But I think there's other ways they can, you know, do things um, to really recognize their good customers. So I don't know. I think it's still valid. But I think that's a really interesting point there, Joanna, because uh, Joanna, because um, what I've seen, and I wonder if you guys have seen it as well, is this difference between earned and entitled. And, and in retail programs, people earn points, and they're usually pretty happy to be found out that they can use it for nice things. Whereas in frequent flyer programs, I've often felt that the customers that are really have the top statuses have feel entitled towards that and often they've spent no, none of their own money on that at all and i've seen focus groups at ba where there's been guys banging on the on the mirror demanding to see the manager who's decided that they're going to they're going to bring this change in because it's impacting their lives so heavily and i've never seen that in retail i see people feel that they've earned points but it's this thick feeling of earned and entitled that's so different between one and the other Does it, has anyone else seen those behaviors totally yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I, I do think it's um, it, it's it's the pointy end as well. So uh, I had a, quite a shock when we put in a platinum tier. When we just had silver and gold, it, it, we didn't have too much of that. We put in a platinum tier, and all of a sudden, it was it was it was massive. Um, but the other thing I found was people that have been platinum for a long time. So we did a status match and brought across people that have been. A top top tier for a long time that their their entitlement was just off the scale even though a lot of them weren't flying a lot anymore so the value the current value pretty average future value really average and yet what they were demanding was was just unbelievable because i think they've been told for such a long time you're really really important that they believed it and you don't see that as much in retail it's nicer it's nicer to be to manage but actually you've got to to your point jason you've got to push them with the right rewards and get the right behaviors going because you haven't quite got that same lever on, of entitlement you get with the frequent flower programs. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I remember having conversations with uh, various retailers uh, in various markets. And in, in many cases, they're absolutely petrified of creating any sort of explicit um, distinction between their, their customer groups um, or customer segments. And so the thought of creating a fast, fast, checkout or a, a different line for or a different experience for one segment versus another segment is is was deemed to be uh, completely off off the table just because they were afraid of alienating um, and creating this this sense of exclusivity um, that um, that uh, frankly airlines thrive on 
It's a great point, Jason. A really good illustration of how these two industries treat their customers very differently. Before we end tonight, does anyone else have anything else they'd like to add? Just one last thing I'd like to say is it's, it's great to look at other programs, either in your industry or, or, or not, for ideas. Okay, get, get ideas from other programs, but don't assume that they'll work for you. You've got to make sure whatever you do is designed for your business, your customers, your environment, your competitors. Um, and if you, do, if you keep to that, keep it customer focused and commercially sound, then you'll win. Well, thanks, Phil. It's a perfect point to end the podcast tonight. So thank you very much tonight to Phil Gunter, Joanne Ward and Jason Odeski. And thank you for listening. If you like the podcast, then please like, share or comment on LinkedIn using the hashtag LoyaltyPodcast. And we look forward to joining us again soon. Thank you very much and goodbye.